Successful restaurateur, entrepreneur, and advocate, today's guest is dedicated to engaging the next generation of leaders and entrepreneurs to make New Hampshire their home and to create safe spaces for the state's LGBTQ community. He even took on Facebook and won. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Nathan, I have a question. For you. Yes, a very, very important question. Okay, have you ever had bubble tea? I have. It was quite a few years ago. Okay, on a trip to Washington D.C. Okay, and at the time I hadn't really heard of it, and so I'm like, oh, oh I like tea. I'll try this. I was not prepared for what I was served with a giant straw, and yeah. then these. Why is the straw so big? And then there's these like round things in, it, and I'm like. Can I eat these? What is, what's in the, what? What am I doing? But and then I finally found out what bubble tea actually is, and then had a greater appreciation for it. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I was just like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. What is this? What am I poisoning myself? Are, are, are these Tide Pods? What's going on? <laughs> that was pre-Tide Pods. Okay. It was. <laughs> How about you? Are you a big bubble tea person? Or are you I'm not a big bubble tea person? No, I I think I've had it maybe once. Um, but because of our interview today, I'm probably going to like, you know, go and have it a few times. And, and also I'm going to ask, uh, our, our guest a bunch of questions about it. And because now I'm like having it once and not knowing much about it, I'm sort of curious. Um, but you're right. Like I remember seeing it the first time or seeing people drinking it going like, what's in the bottom of their cup. And when they get there, what do they do with those things? <laughs> You know, but you can sort of like, I guess you could sort of stab them with the, with the, with the straw because I don't know, it's, it's a, maybe it's a thing. What's your favorite drink when you go to a coffee shop though? Or uh, a tea I, place? I do like teas. Okay. I, I'm a tea person and I have to say um, that Emmett and Teetotaler helped me get through this part of the pandemic because they did, and we'll talk about this, yeah. delivery service when we couldn't get out. And it was so wonderful yeah. to have this this concoction turn up at my at my yeah, doorstep. Right. You're like Loved within it. range of delivery, lucky yes. you. Oh man! All right, What's well, your go-to? Um, my go-to is a um, soy vanilla latte. I know, All cold right. or cold or hot. Sometimes with an extra shot. Not all the time, um, but I do like tea. I had a um, wonderful tea experience. I, when I lived in Boston years ago, there was a, a really neat, in Providence, there was a, a really neat tea place down there that I'd go to all the time. And it was like my first like tea restaurant experience. It was, it was very cool. Um, so I do have a love for tea, but I'm totally like a coffee guy, espresso guy. I grew up in England, so yes, I, right. I, I got fully indoctrinated. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> All right. Let's fully indoctrinate our guest this week um, by introducing him and then going from there. Our guest this week was born and raised in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Emmett Soldati is a small business owner, activist, and proud townie. A graduate of the London School of Economics, Emmett spent the last decade working to connect and uplift community, the community he knows and loves his hometown. Emmett made national headlines in 2020 for his historic win in the New Hampshire Supreme Court against Facebook, where he represented himself. He was also a primary candidate for executive counsel in District 2 and a chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. In 2019, he won Entrepreneur of the Year for his cafe, Teetotaler, which has blossomed into a hub of LGBTQ plus 
programming, community gatherings, and social justice activism. His newest teetotaler cafe is now open in downtown Concord. Emmett, welcome. Thank you. Sorry about our, <laughs> our, our rumblings around bubble tea and our lack of knowledge. You get very used to it in this business. Okay. All right. We're going to ask you a lot of questions, and we're going to walk out of here later on as bubble tea pros, mm. without ha- we'll, and then we'll go you know, have some. Um, but anyway, let's get right to it. I want to ask you a, a, a question that um, I feel you can handle, which is why I'm asking you this one. How would you describe yourself to someone meeting you for the first time? So who is Emmett Soldati? Um, well, I, probably I wouldn't have to say this, but I'm pretty colorful, but that would, I would need to describe that. Um, they would tell, they could tell, (laughs) uh, a little bit intense. Um, and you know, you'd sort of mentioned like, I'm, I'm obsessed with where I am. And Mm -hmm. so I like, I'm I'm a very enthusiastic person in terms of being a proud townie and Mm -hmm. a proud granite stater. So that's like the impression I think most people get from me is, uh, yeah, he's like totally... And engrossed and in love with New Hampshire. Nice, nice. And so, well, where do you? I mean, obviously, you grew up here. Um, your parents were involved in a number of, of things that are very much New Hampshire, and, and probably exposed you to a lot. But what? Why do you feel like you have that that intensity for New Hampshire? Where where did, may that come from? Having moved away and then come back? Yeah, I, I guess because I got out. <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> I, I wanted to leave so badly for yeah. so long, and yeah. I did. And then I like looked around, um, and I, you know, loved. I lived in Boston. I mm-hmm. lived in Toronto, and then you had mentioned lived in London. And I kind of li- like looked around. And I was like, oh wait, I I had it made in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Wow, <laughs> that was like that's all I need. Yeah. So before coming back to to Summersworth, talk a little bit about your time away and what you did, and 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 what was your path back. So my big plan was to become a filmmaker. So I uh, went to film school. And I sort of uh, chased around different film programs, and that's what brought me out of the country. Um, You went to Emerson College, right? I went to Emerson College for a little bit. (laughs) Um, Didn't make it all the way through, uh, and then moved to Toronto, Mm -hmm. um, also to to go to film school. And the number one thing I learned is, nope. (laughs) So (laughs) this is is not necessarily the path for me at at that time. I was too young. It Mm -hmm. was too young to be... um, doing that making major life decisions yeah and like you know spending a lot of money to learn how to use a camera that no one uses anymore Mm -hmm. you know that um so then i decided i was like well then i need to pursue you know my my academic side Mm -hmm. um the life of the mind uh so yeah i went to grad school in london uh which was just a brilliant experience as they would Um, say as they would say (laughs) um so yeah, I I I kind of my my world expanded. I like I you know grew up in a small town, came from a small town, um, feel very connected to it. You know, I'm like a generational small town person. Like mm-hmm. my my dad and my grandfather are from the same town uh, or, or region, mm-hmm. and uh, I needed to have my like world and mind kind of expanded, um, which is ultimately what that journey was. And then I was like, check, <laughs> I'm gonna go back. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, well, that's interesting because there is a lot of initiative at the state level and even with with Stay Work Play that is keeping people in New Hampshire, you know, bringing them and keeping them in New Hampshire. And I think, um, personally, I think what you did is is the way to go. You, you, you can, you, you go, you learn, you expand your mind, and then you come back with all of that knowledge and all of that um, energy, maybe, and just like you are, you're doing good things. 
moving back to Summersworth, was the plan I'm going to move back and become an entrepreneur? Or was it you moved back and looked at like, what am I going to do? Like, what was that like? And what led you to entrepreneurism? Yeah, I, I've i sort of shared this story before and because it sort of made headlines. But I think part of what precipitated the the boomerang is uh, my childhood home burned down oh. in, in 2010. Uh, nobody was hurt. Um, but it had this like very... I was I was home at the time, or I was you know I was in town at the time, and we had so many people from Summersworth or Berwick, Maine, or, mm. or, the, or the region, really reach out and express genuine concern and care and compassion and generosity. Mm-hmm. And this was right before I actually moved to London, and there was something about that experience about like I guess people would describe that as community, like just everyone's got your back. Yeah. That I knew in the moment, I was like, "You can't buy this. You can't find this. You can't create this. Like this is just like gener- like built over you know time and work and connections." Right. And so, as I was living in London, I was like, "I actually know where my home is." You know, I'm I'm a city boy in some ways. Like I love. I'm. I feel like I'm cosmopolitan. Like I love trying new things and meeting new people. But I was like, I knew. I was like there's something special to what is happening in a lot of small communities that band together uh, in in sort of support of their neighbor that I wasn't finding in sort of the anonymous, somewhat lonely city. Mm. Um, and so I came back just being like, I need to be part of it. I need, I need to be part of it as an adult. And it, I thought the way of being part of that was running for office. So I ran for city council and lost. <laughs> And uh, so I was sort of like out there making all these grandiose statements about like, I'm going to change the city and I'm going to be, you know, supporting the next generation of mm-hmm. leadership. And, you know, that kind of fell by the wayside after November. And so I kind of like took stock of my surroundings and what I had claimed I was going to do. And I thought, well, it's a little bit boring here and uh, there's not a lot to do here. And I've, I've, I've sort of staked out that I'm not just going to like, come and you know on vacation here I like that I'm I'm here and I want to contribute to my home being more vibrant and less boring and the only way I knew how to do that at the time was the things that I think thought were cool were cafes because I um, had recently gotten sober so it's like I wasn't drinking and so it's like to me I was like I'm not gonna open a bar even though I later did but at the time I was like a cafe is what's gonna make Summersworth fun. Cool. Cool. Um, I want to, I want to go back to something you, when you said that you lost that race for city council, um, often in failure in business or in situations, we, we maybe learn something or something comes from that. What did you feel after that loss? Well, it definitely, I mean, it taught me a lot. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was a very quick campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, it taught me a lot about like what really matters in political, you know, electioneering, which has some uh, kind of connective tissue with things I did later. Um, but it was also the best thing that ever happened to me. To be honest, I, I, I needed as much of what I do now, some liberty and freedom to, you know, say things, do things mm-hmm. uh, in, in my community that sitting on a specific governmental board might have stifled me and might have stifled what has otherwise become some pretty kind of fabulous and provocative and and wild 
programming for our community that um, at that age, I think that venue probably would have set me up um, to become a robot. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm very grateful that I... So it sort of taught you what you didn't want. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. (laughs) I learned that lesson a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. And that's okay. So when you decide that you're going to go and, you know, the route I'm going to go and help institute change here in my community is a cafe. What, when did you start formulating what this was going to be? Because you have a definite vision for what you want Teetotaler to be. And how did that come together? So I think a lot of, thank you. I think a lot of people see Teetotaler and see the brand and they're like, it's so it, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's so (laughs) it's thing, which I'm very proud of. And, and I take as sort of a, a point of pride as a business owner, but absolutely not my fault, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> not my doing. I get, I get very little credit. I, you know, if, if I could take you back, you know, a trip down memory lane, or if you literally walk down main street in Summersworth, you will see the old signage that is still hanging on the window. Um, the landlord never took it down. The, the initial iteration was very rough and it was very cobbled. It was like, I went to this cafe once and I liked that cup. So we're going to order those cups, but I liked these tables. So it was very um, underfunded. It was like very budget. Um, <laughs> and so, but there, yeah, there was like an ethos of like, I'm just going to do something funky or whatever. And really it was like, once I opened and I had no customers and I had lots of bills, it was like I freaked out and was like, I need to very quickly figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of, and I know a lot of other early stage business owners do this where you just churn through like, I'm going to do trivia. I'm going to serve dinner. I'm mm-hmm. going to be open at three in the morning. Like I'll do, I'll experiment with anything right. to chase revenue. And eventually kind of what happened is the people that kind of came out of the woodwork that for whatever reason weren't totally scared about the fact that I was a single business with abandoned storefronts to the left and right. Um, and there might've been like paint chips peeling off the ceiling. Like those first customers and employees kind of fueled really what the brand is today. And so, so much of now what I see as a a slightly more matured business owner as like, that's our brand voice or this is, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to serve this, not that, that judgment has really been refined over learning from a lot of people that came into my orbit and introduced me to new ideas. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't, and I don't know if we'll talk about this, but like, I didn't set out thinking I'm going to open a, a, a gay bubble tea shop, <laughs> you know, that, which is like, I think <laughs> very what, specific what people would think of us <laughs> as, and, and yet like we got there because of, really just staying power. I think a lot of people would have, and, and you know, I'm sort of happy to sort of share any part of this journey, but mm. a lot of people would have closed a lot earlier. You know, we made no money for years and years. You know, it's just like, we just were just clinging mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. and there's probably a little bit of pride uh, and sentiment, you know, like sentimentality that anyone else would have been like, we're going to jump ship. Like, you know, I didn't, have money to buy a house. I had deferred, you know, I never had any weekends free, but I think I kept with it long enough in many ways, despite my own interests that eventually I kind of tapped into some of those themes and ideas and programming and design and flavors that then I was like, 
this is actually going to be the story of teetotaler. This is actually going to be the the sort of the kernel um, that makes it great. Now, and let's talk about what the brand developed into and how you were able to take that and make it into something bigger than a cafe. Um, and my first experience with teetotaler, I live in Rochester and there is a, a road you can go down that connects Rochester and Summersworth. And there's a big billboard over by a nice rink there. And I'm driving down and there's this billboard with this young guy on it and he, a very kind of sassapose. And it, the, the, Tagline was Chai Curious. And I went, and I'm like, what? I'm like, that is so awesome. You know, it made you laugh, but it was also like this bold statement. And you're like, I'm like, what is teetotaler? And so that got garnered you a lot of tension, both very positive and very negative, and not just on the local level, but it kind of grew from there. Can you talk about why that billboard campaign started and when you knew you kind of had something going? Well, and it sounds like you caught the second billboard. Yes. (laughs) There was one before that. So, you know, I I grew up in Summersworth, so also always drove on that back road that maybe eight people drive on. And there was always this billboard. And it was like the message on the billboard was always some random national org, you know, putting usually like a pro-life message and I always hated it. And I was always like, as a, not as a kid, but just like as a younger person being like, why do they get to dictate? Like, why don't, why isn't, you know, the local Hardee's shop, you know, getting the billboard space or whatever. And so I was just like, I'm going to take that billboard over one day. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had um, um, reopened our, our first cafe in Summersworth. We moved locations and uh, a little bit of more savvy, better budget and so forth. So I was like, I'm going to spend some money on advertising. There was a young person who, uh, you know, as a middle schooler used to come in and get uh, bubble tea or, yeah, usually bubble tea um, from Teetotaler. And they had like such a presence to them as a middle schooler at Summersworth Middle School, the middle school that I had gone to a decade prior. And they were they were flamboyant. They were extravagant. They were they were loud um, and they were so confident in themselves and and with their friend group and i was like i could not have imagined a decade prior mm-hmm. in summers with middle school being that out in any way shape or form being that like taking up that much space right. in in the sort of campy queer style that they had chosen for themselves so i was like always like so like so down i was like that is such a cool person and story so then Flash forward a couple years later, we reopened this the cafe, and you know it's like they're grown up, they're you know a teenager, they're in high school now, and it's like they had triple downed on their their style, um, and so I was like, you know what, we need to do. Uh, I would love to like you know have you in an Instagram post or you know should we do like a little um, poster or something? And so we kept thinking about a photo shoot that we would do and where we would place it. And then I was like, this is going to be the 30-foot billboard. <laughs> and one of, my, one of my baristas at the time was a big fan of Angeline. There's actually a, a movie out about yes. her recently. But, but you know, the, before then, no one had heard of her out here except – so she's the billboard queen of Los Angeles. She's like a pinup model. You'd see like this 
you know, pink Corvette that she's like stretched out over. And that's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole premise. It's just like a sex symbol. And I was like, it would be so funny if we recreate that style with this young queer person that goes to summers with high school. Um, and so we did. So we put them on a billboard and it said, I like my men like I like my coffee. And then <laughs> the tagline being with breakfast, a teetotaler. And to me, it's like, you know, people have made a lot of that. And at the end of the day, I was like, I just want to remind people that we sell coffee. Right. <laughs> like, that we're not just a tea place. And I'm a, co- I'm, a, I'm a coffee person. So I was like, maybe it'll get the message across. The message has not gotten across. But <laughs> instead what happened is people were like, what is this? <laughs> you know, it, it, like, what is this telling me? And someone posted it on the internet and the internet did that thing where people see it and get upset. No, the internet. (laughs) And, you know, the story I always tell is like, I was so shocked by how positive the response in Summersworth was. Like people were like, yes, I love that billboard. Um, But then some people that like probably live a thousand miles away were like, this is degeneracy and this is blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, gotta love them like that, that just like circulated in the algorithm and more people clicked and saw um and so then we ended up on the cover of the huffington post um this was i can't remember 2017 and so the story became like queer cafe you know billboard cla- culture clash like people are upset about it and whatever God. and we got flooded with like people just coming to like I mean, one, they learned about us, but like, oh my gosh, like, you know, whether it's sort of expressing solidarity or mm. hoping for merch, which we eventually you know, <laughs> figured out and got merch. Um, and that's kind of when that le- that aspect of uh, our brand kind of changed for me. Because mm-hmm. I think, with with some exceptions, most cafes in America are what you would think of as a safe space. Most of them are connecting you to progressive liberal ideas and, and are um, kind of whether the um, the staff, the customers, or even the owners, like kind of exist in that like safe space and queer space. And I'm like, sure, we're the same. And I was like, why shouldn't, why, why shouldn't we just be explicit about it rather mm-hmm. than like implicit, like mm-hmm. let's lean into that. And that concept, not about being exclusive, like we're a place that's like just a, you know, a gay bar without alcohol, but being explicit where it's like, it is written on the door. And we are like, we are intentional in the ways that we um, program and the voice that we use. Uh, it's it's like suddenly that was the floodgate that opened that once we did that, then, you know, like I said, like the Chai Curious was the invention of one of my baristas. It was like everyone came to us with like, oh, this is the space that we can um, connect around the LGBTQ community. We had already had, because of the name, like our our brand was like a sober space and, and, a, mm-hmm. and, a, and a recovery-friendly space, mm-hmm. which then suddenly meant we were an all-ages LGBTQ space. And, and it, again, never had occurred to me, never had been part of the plan, but it kind of clicked for me thinking like the only spaces as a young person and for me personally as a young queer person, the only spaces where you're sort of, it's sort of like sanctioned is a bar, you know, is, is a gay bar or, or whatnot. And so there's this premise in America that you have to be 21 years old to be queer. 
that in order to experience and 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 commune and explore and express yourself, not like in a particular romantic or sexual setting, but just as a as a community setting, you have to be 21. That you have to you have to be able to get into a bar or or 18, but you know there may be one or two venues at the time in New Hampshire. So to me, it kind of dawned on me like, is anyone thinking about what queer youth are thinking and doing and feeling and 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 so that made me recognize an opportunity to broaden how people of any age kind of explore and engage with these concepts um, that is is both safe um, but is also like you know educational and it like you can you can learn more and and I just don't know that we've we've really kind of as a society had that dialogue and conversation about like. Well, if everyone and everything is straight, <laughs> you know, it's like, what are people doing and thinking and feeling about themselves when they're 17 years old? Um, we're still selling bubble tea <laughs> and avocado <laughs> toast. Like, you know, we're not a nonprofit. We're not. Right. Um, but but so many of the spaces that we think in history as enfranchising people or, or giving people a venue to experiment and explore with themselves and their identity you know, Stonewall was a bar. They had to sell alcohol um, and presumably, you know, programming or tickets or whatever. So for us, it's bubble tea and avocado toast. But I do think that there needs to be more types of spaces that help people participate on their journey of self-discovery that isn't centered around alcohol. Got it. We'll be right back. Sky Terra is one of the nation's top 50 Microsoft cloud solutions provider, and we're proud to be headquartered right here in New Hampshire. Please visit us at www.skyterratech.com to see how we help companies with their IT needs so they can concentrate on their business. All right, we're back with Emmett Soldati. So once you see the reaction that the billboards are garnering and, and people are now paying attention to this little cafe in Summersworth. And when did you, how did you then progress to the next step of taking this business to a mission driven, inclusive identity and making it work both as a, a the safe space and as a business that's going to be viable. Yeah. I think people similarly give me more credit than I think is due. I, I, it's like, you kind of put it out there. You say like, you know, someone on Yelp wrote about us, just like they visited our shop in Summersworth. They they were tourists. They're not from here. And they called us a queer hipster oasis (laughs) of tea, coffee and pastry goodness. And I loved that. I was like, oh, that's like, I'm always like, what are we? Are we a cafe? Are we a bistro? Are we like a tea house? And I'm like, none of those words stick for me. And they're like, oh, an oasis. Like, that's what I want. Like a space where it's like, I have been thirsting for this. I've been searching for this. I've been yearning for this. And I, you know, the door is open and you're suddenly hit with that sort of dopamine of like, oh, this is, this is it. Um, So I was like, I loved that. So it's like, basically the the switch was, we just put that on our website. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we are, nice. we, it's on our Instagram profile today, a queer hipster oasis. And it kind of became this self fulfilling prophecy. And for me as a business owner, it kind of just 
uh, it kind of followed me. So it was like, you know, s suddenly I'm, I'm posting a, you know, a job posting for, for new applicants or something. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I, I probably should add some language here about the type of space we are mm -hmm. and the type of practices we have. And, you know, as an example, do not care what color your hair is. Do not care what your pronouns are. We will honor and respect. And, you know, it's like it's it's all it's all OK. It's and it's all supported with us. And I know that other places where it's like, here's the strict, you know, dress code and here's the strict this. And, you know, and we have a dress code and we have uh, an employee handbook. But it made me kind of take a, a second pause at like, how are we building the business from like the 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 paperwork, the structure of it that, you know, one might not think to ask, oh, should we like put someone's preferred name? Like, I don't, I don't mind that. Like, I have to use someone's name for payroll, but then like the name that is sort of um, that they use and is their name they feel comfortable with. Um, so why shouldn't I put that into the operations of the business? Um, and so, the, and there's other things like that. I think kind of implicitly um, create a safe space. Like you know, a lot of the work that we do to sort of uh, in the recovery space, um, is all about the same thing. Everyone is welcome here. Like, you know, we want to make sure folks feel safe and feel comfortable, uh, don't feel judged, uh, don't feel stigmatized. And so we've had to like, just put into our training, like we have Narcan here and we're proud of it. Like, you know, it, there, there is the possibility given the state of society and the state of New Hampshire that someone could have an overdose. Mm -hmm. And, we don't want to make them feel like they could never come in here for a coffee if, you know, and so from training our staff to <clears throat> what we put out to our customers has just like, it, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't like create a business plan. That's like, I'm going to create a queer business plan. Right. It was like, once I said some of these things about our business, I then kind of had to catch up and, and question uh, some assumptions about sort of normal business upkeep. What kept you going, especially during the early years of the business, where there were so many times that you could have thrown in the talents that it's time to move on? And But what kept you going with this? You sound like my therapist. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What kept me going? I, you know, I think it was always the people. Um, I have had many, many, many dark moments just like, you know, with, with my business and my personal life and my finances and like the, you know, woe is me or what am I doing with my life? And anytime I might get to a place where it's like, it's time to throw in the towel or it's time to do this, <clears throat> there's someone, uh, you know, that, that young um, kid on the billboard was like a good example. And certainly many of my employees, um, I, I just like absolutely treasure um, many of my t current community in terms of like my closest friends are former employees or customers or drag performers. And at every stage, it was like, this is what I want. You know, I want to meet people. I want to get to know people. I want to understand people. I want other people to see me and know me. It's hard to do that at the grocery store. It's hard to do that in a cubicle. It's really easy to do it when I'm ringing up your order and chatting with you about your life. And so, so many times when, when one might say from a purely financial or business or lifestyle, like this is too much, I'm like, this is where I'm going to 
meet the people that are going to fill my life with joy and and um, meaning. And so at every turn, you know, it's like it's just there have been people. So and that kind of got me through those periods where one might have a question mark about the, like the business side. You know, I will say, fortunately, eventually I kind of caught up and learned enough about the business side to get it to a place where I don't have to be looking for those, uh, you know, life rafts that the business itself is now successful and the business now itself provides, you know, significant employment uh, and, you know, financial opportunities and space for, for employees uh, as safe space for employees um, and rallies the, the communities that it serves. We're now in two communities um, and we're meeting a real need. While you were trying to get teetotaler off the ground, you took on a lot. I mean, at some point you launched, as you referenced, and, and we even did an article on the time, we got together with some partners and opened up a, a bar that also produced its own bread. You were, but you've also been this passionate advocate for let's have young people realize what they have here and let's get vibrancy in our communities and let's have support entrepreneurism and you were holding different events around this can you talk about what was driving you in these community grassroots efforts and wanting to go down all these different paths yeah i think new hampshire and probably a lot of rural semi-rural states are plagued by myths Mm -hmm. that there is just a total mythology around it's it's tired it's sleepy there's nobody there (laughs) everyone all the talent left um it's conservative it's provincial um and it just isn't true and i have had the fortune and the privilege because of what i chose to do to dispel many of many of those myths have been dispelled for me personally that i have met and seen and engaged with some of the most brilliant wonderful stimulating exciting people in New Hampshire, in like small random towns in New Hampshire (laughs) that no one would, you know, ever think to go and venture to and and meet. And, you know, a friend of mine describes it as like New Hampshire is covered with this thick layer of fog that like we just look out. We It's like, nope, it's all gray. And we don't see that, you know, under that layer of fog in these like little communities of Summersworth or Bethlehem, there's like real energy and excitement and like people doing, you know, wild and, and weird stuff. And I've seen it. I've kind of, I've, teetotaler is one way, but but some of my other community organizing has been ways of like clearing that fog mm-hmm. to be like, you don't have to go to Boston if you don't want to, like you don't have to leave. Um, but you do have to kind of do some work either to find these people or to kind of like you know, light your own fire so people mm-hmm. can find you. Right. Like you to, to really be seen um, because there is a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of stuff that can happen. Despite all I've sort of said about the challenges of teetotaler, it has been very possible to build the business that I've built. Um, and it happened because I chose to do it in the place that I did. I mean, I if, if I had thought I'm going to do this in downtown Boston – you know, I would probably still be paying off the debt for a business I closed eight years ago. So it it is so doable up here. The the barriers to entry are so low. And so, yes. so much of my kind of organizing around, yes, you too can just get started right away mm-hmm. on your dreams or your plans or your business, your idea, is is the experience that I've seen that other people have done it up here and I've done it up here. And, it, and, and there's is an ecosystem 
it just requires a little bit more work to to kind of break through those myths that we've we've all kind of consumed. Very, very true. Um, I want to get to maybe um, a little bit of the elephant in the room because we mentioned it a couple of times in in your introductions and all that. But um, your well, teetotalers. Instagram page, right, was shut down uh, by, therefore, Facebook, the owner of uh, Instagram, and you fought it, and you won. But we want to hear kind of the whole story, as I think it were. They, they prefer to go by meta now. Oh, yes. yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Do we really care about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, Instagram was started to grow as, like, a, a very major marketing channel um, in the food business, you know, bubble tea definitely sells well on Instagram bubble tea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, hashtag Boba Bay. Um, and so we had an Instagram and one day I woke up and it was deleted. And, you know, I think as the story is told, um, you know, people probably think I'm a very litigious person. They're like, and I woke up and called Facebook's lawyer. (laughs) Listen, see you in court. But no, I like, I was like, I just want it back. So I like followed all the channels and like Mm -hmm. tried to get it back and tried to get more information. And like, would you guess that there's no way to even connect with a human person with human brain cells to do that? Um, it's all about like sending you into these like long winding contact support, whatever that ultimately gets you either back to the same place or just says too bad, you know, life sucks. And so I was like, this isn't cool. So I kept trying to reach people. And so finally I was like, okay, what are my rights? And so I read the terms of service, which I'm sure you all have read when you selected, <laughs> when, when you signed like, up. Who's actually selected. read those? But um, you know, I, in a, my dad was hoping I was going to go to law school. So this is sort of like me fulfilling that. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to read the whole contract. And you know, wouldn't you know it? Uh, Facebook, which owned Instagram at the time, completely owned it, um, prevents you from most forms of kind of typical legal recourse. Like you can't file a class action lawsuit. You can't sue them in superior court. Um, you can go to some like adjudication tribunal in San Jose, California. It's like, okay. Um, but tiny little provision, you, re- res- you know, I put this out to everyone. You reserve your right to to bring a claim in small claims court. Um, and I did <laughs> like <laughs> i i was like okay well then that's my avenue so i filed a claim against them and i said you owe me money because i had a business account i've given you money i've advertised on your platform uh and when you delete my account i no longer can or benefit from the the, the dollars i spent and so they kind of threw the book at me well first they ignored it for a long time and then the court was like look you won because they ignored it and then facebook's like wait no we don't ignore it like we want to dismiss it so they threw the book at me and came up with all these ultimately bogus legal arguments. But if you look at the book they send of them, it's like intimidating. It's like, who, who's who got time to read that? And I was like, I have time to read this. And um, nice. <laughs> so I, I do, in fact. I, yeah, I, was I like, read Terms of Service. I'm the first person. You <laughs> yeah, mean first person to ever have read Instagram uh, oh, Terms of Service. Okay. So I was like, oh, this is going to law school, Dad. This is like, <laughs> you know, I learned a bunch of case law. So I, I read it all, and I was like, wait, they don't have a case here. Because at first I was like, oh, okay, I'm, oops, I'm, I'm in the wrong. And when I read it and realized how, like, illegitimate so many of their positions and arguments were, it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, they don't have an answer. You know, because they could have come back and been like, you did this wrong. 
Like, because you posted a picture of a drag queen and drag queens are illegal. Like, they could have said any number of things to just meet me where they're at. But instead, they put all this sort of bogus, the legal term is obfuscation, you know, like this this fog. And I was like, oh, I'm onto something. <laughs> so then I became a dog with a bone. I was like, I'm absolutely going to contest this. So they got the case dismissed. Um in small claims because of this federal statute that says Facebook is just like a newspaper. Like you can't sue them and go after them for things that they choose to do as a, a newspaper. And I was like, that's wrong. Uh, they're not a newspaper. Um, I gave them money. Give me my money. And it turns out, didn't know this, that if you, if you appeal in a small claims, a small claim, it, it skips superior court and it goes to the Supreme court of oh. New Hampshire. So yeah, so it wasn't like I was like, I was going just up like, the ladder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just like got a note that I was like, okay, well, you have to file a brief in uh, New Hampshire Supreme Court. So I did. That was that has been that was the most challenging part of this because I am what people would describe as pro se, which means I'm defending myself. I don't have a lawyer. I don't have anyone on retainer. Um, and so I just had to kind of like scramble and put together a brief, which is like your legal argument, and it's like. I was never even that good in grad school with like APA or Chicago style oh or citing the bibliographies, <laughs> oh right? Like that was that was the yeah. reason I couldn't continue grad school. And here it's like there's a very strict like font typeface format. You know, here's when you put these citations, and so that was miserable. But I filed my brief, and so um, <clears throat> it was like March of 2020, early March of 2020. I go into Supreme Court. Um, they had hired additional lawyers. So they have lawyers from Vermont, New Hampshire, and California um, that they brought to the case. And it's very quick. It was like very, it's like 15 minutes. It's your, you know, um, and someone had told me, they were like, oh, you know, you're pro se, you're defending yourself. They're going to go easy on you. Like they'll ask you some questions, but they'll let you tell your story or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. I have 15 minutes. I'll write a 15 minute like speech. And like, I'm like, you know, May it please the court, I'm Emmett Soldado. They're like, uh, excuse me, why did they delete your account? You know, and so like immediately <laughs> they jump in and like come after me with questions. So it definitely was like you had to be on your game. Um, and then, you know, the uh, opposing count or the counsel um, gets up for Facebook. And uh, yeah, so um, that happened. I went home. Uh, I took a nap. I woke up and COVID happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh literally, I woke up and it was like, where's your hand sanitizer? And do you have, I don't think tests existed at the time, but it was like flatten the curve. And in three days, we shut our business down. So it was sort of like this fever dream of like, did it happen? Like, where was I? What, you know? All um, I did was take a nap. <laughs> I do, I'm not a nap person, too. It's like one of the only naps I've taken in my I'll life. And exactly. It's like, never. Again. So you're saying your nap caused COVID? Is yeah, it definitely was like, oh my, like, I, Maybe I'm still in the nap. Like Maybe. I'm like I'll <laughs> yeah. wake up and it's like, oh, actually, you and lost your case, and <laughs> right, and we're all in the nap with you. You're in the nap with me, right? So then you have to oh shut your God. business down. How did you keep that going? When did you hear back from the court that you indeed won? Um, and what effect did that have? And I mean, how did you get through 2020? <laughs> Honestly, um, you know, I felt very prepared. Um, Running a, a, a business uh, in a sleepy town where you're like fighting for every dollar and constantly on. You know, there's, there is really, for the last 
you know, eight prior years, there was never turning off because I had to think every day about how are we going to hit that special number to like pay the bills and pay the employees and keep the lights on. And so it was constant. And so the moment we had to shut our business down, I mean, one, there's no, there's no, everyone was in the same boat. So there's no expectation. Um, I was very, I think, adapted to that kind of like, well, then what do we have to do today? And so today it's, we're going to write a guide that helps our employees get on the unemployment system because that was a very miserable experience and I want to make sure they get their checks immediately. Or I'm going to help other businesses fill out their PPP application and use that money effectively so they're not just burning capital that won't get forgiven. Or you know, So it was just like I felt very capable in that moment to take what I had sort of learned from the sort of school of hard knocks Summersworth to say like, well, here's what we're going to do. Um, and and one of those things was, as you'd mentioned, like I was like, well, we still have customers that are at home. You know, we still have employees that could be, you know, could give be given hours. Um, so we, we created a, a beverage uh, delivery service. And so we, we, uh, we delivered our own bubble tea to 13 cities and towns. Um, and, the business grew, it like exploded. It was like, it was um, one of our best years to date in terms of our margin. And so um, that just like totally changed my view of like how to build a business. Cause like, you know, meanwhile, or, or, or sorry, prior to it's like, I'll put 8,000 things on the menu if it will give me any extra dollar. I don't care what the headache is. I don't care that I have to come in at 4 a.m. on a Saturday. And then it was like, I just sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of one thing, shamrock bubble tea. Like, are you kidding? That's all I had to do this whole time. So it definitely, <laughs> that's it. It taught me a valuable lesson is like, uh, you know, how to, how, how to be successful to like slim down, um, you know, kind of trim and focus on what you're good at, focus on what you have traction in and deliver and like deliver a good and interesting service and product um, and you can still employ people. You can still have your fun brand. You can still engage people, but you can also make some money and, you know, protect your financial future. Yeah. And you're still doing the delivery service. Yes. Uh, it's in hibernation. In um, hibernation. So because we just opened our cafe in Concord, we're right. like, okay, right. too much, too much, too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we deliver it every day by opening in Concord. <laughs> and then what ended up with, how did the Facebook situation end up? Um, so I got a notice from the court. Everything got very backed up because all the courts shut down. Yeah, right. So I got a notice from the court many, many months later that said, um, you won. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that doesn't say you won. I wish it said that. <laughs> um, yeah. you won. Congratulations. Sincerely, Supreme Court. <laughs> um, it, it just said like, I mean, it was like one of those things that's like a recipe on a blog where you have to read through oh, like eight don't even. pages of stories to, to be like, to the there's three ingredients in these eggs. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was that. It was like, and we thought this, and then this person said this, and oh, by the way, you got it. Um, so yeah, for the four justices that were sitting, because there was one out, unanimously um, agreed with my request, and so it's it get the technical term is remanded. So the case gets remanded back to small claims, which basically means I get my day in court, um, which feels almost trivial because. I was asking, I was, I made a small claim. Um, and so it's like, oh, right. That thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it is, uh, still oh. hasn't happened. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I feel like if if I feel like you know lawyers are like they get get it. I'm like they keep delaying it, and I was like, okay, I get it. Like you know, motion to continue. Someone's on vacation. Um, couldn't you find another one of your four lawyers? No. Um, <laughs> but I'm like whatever. Not like, bitter at you all. You know, I'm just you know. <laughs> Part of me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of pr- just preparing to finally make my case. And so where are things at today with Teetotaler? How's the new location going? Um, and, and what's the reception been like? Yeah, so we had planned in like 2018, 2019 to open a second location. Like I was like, you know what? You know, coming back to this point of like, is the brand, like the brand seems so articulated and so it. it's like, I was like, okay, this is the brand. And Summersworth is 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 not the only place that kind of needs or would thrive on a teetotaler. Let's expand. You know, long search and planning and thought and it went into that and ultimately developed a relationship with a landlord in Concord who was like, Concord's your place. You gotta do this here. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, Concord's a big city. <laughs> like that's gonna that's a lot. Um so we were supposed to open in April of 2020. So it's like that nap screwed that up. Oh, 2020. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Naps, man. I slept through it. Um, so kind of COVID, you know, um, you know, distracted and changed things. Um, and ultimately I was like, okay, well, we're still going to do this. And so last year, late last year, we, we like really got to work uh, on it. And so opened in downtown Concord, uh, like a block from uh, the state house, uh, in this like, you know, beautiful, but unique and weird space uh, with the mezzanine. Um, And we opened it on June 1st and it has just been wild. Like it is like, did you know that people live in Concord? (laughs) There's a few, there's just a few. There's way more than a few. It's like, are they coming to see you? They're all coming to see me. (laughs) Oh, I hope not me because I'm not always there, but they're coming to see Teetotaler. And like, it's just been really um rewarding to watch it's been very um wonderful to to like know what what you can do with a business that has some resources now right Mm because we raised a lot of money not a lot we raised a decent amount of money to open and then the the company is so far doing very well and so that has allowed us to you know not panic every day and wonder who's going to pay the bills it's like oh yeah let's let's host an 80s drag brunch and like have a free bubble tea day or what we haven't done that yet. So don't hold me to it. But, <laughs> but it's like, you know, we, it's easier, it it's easier yeah. to dream big now. Yeah, and, absolutely. um, and so I'm like so grateful because there were definitely parts of me that were like, well, maybe I won't do this. Like maybe, you know, whether through COVID or the experience, it's like, it is nice to have a weekend off. Um, but it's been so the, again, same story, the people in Concord, the staff in particular, um, have made it effortless you know, have, 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 you know, and not that there's been no work, but it's just like, it has just felt like it's, it's come together and Mm -hmm. then people are aligned and I have not, that experience is like magical and that's like something worth doing it all for. Yeah. It's happening because it was meant to be. Mm. Okay. And there's so much going on and I shouldn't (laughs) ask this next question, but you're one of those folks that I think just never stop. So what's next for you? And what's next for the business? Any more political aspirations um, or grassroots organizing that you're doing or what's next? You know, certainly all of the above, maybe. Um, I think this experience, certainly we could open in Concord and, you know, someone opened the door and goes, huh? 
and shuts the door and walks away. You know, and that hasn't been the case. You know, people have really responded. And it's taught me in a very short period of time a lot of the lessons that I was not learning just in a one location, small location, sleepy location, no exit off the highway in Summersworth. And so it has made me think about, well, what will it mean to give this company more resources and uh, and connect with more people? Uh, you know, I certainly don't want to be irresponsible and not give it the love and, and time that it needs, but it's like, absolutely, we should be scaling this. Um, absolutely, we should be talking to any developers or landlords that are, no, I, <laughs> 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 are you listening? <laughs> you know, so I'm, you know, I think th- back to this idea of what it means to build a brand, um, you know, going from one location to two locations, my job went from being like um, the dishwasher uh, uh, or, you know, or just like the, with the taskmaster in one space to being the truck driver. Like everything I do is logistics now. Everything, you know, I, I'm fully staffed. I have an incredible manager. I have an incredible team. Everything I do is like what's going on between the two. Like, you know, how can we bake in one location that serves the other? How can we deploy uh, marketing assets that, that, uh, or, you know, that we're serving the same, you know, peach bubble tea at both locations when I make an Instagram post. So everything I think about now is systems and I am not a system person, you know, like historically. And so now I'm like, well, if I'm going to invest in, in developing a system, it can serve two teetotalers, it can serve 10. Mm -hmm. And so I, I am thinking about how to scale that system and, and what is that package? You know, what is that, um, that kernel of, of value that teetotaler brings to the communities. Like it's not easy to scale drag shows uh, because drag queens in particular are, are particular, you know? And so um, like, how do you be like, well, we have, you know, a drag brunch happening at every teetotaler in America or something. Um, but I am, I am like trying to work through a lot of those things about how do you have like a unique idiosyncratic and queer business that can be in multiple communities and can still uh, survive financially. Nice, nice. Well, we will be here watching your future success, whatever it may be. Emmett Soldati is an entrepreneur, advocate, and of course, founder of Teetotaler, now in Concord. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you. Happy to be here. And now the buzz. All right. So, Matt, in the August issue of Business New Hampshire magazine, Anna Brown wrote um, about some of the debates that they were having um, in at the State House, And uh, one of those was around the rooms and meals tax. Yes, the lifeline of the, New Hampshire. Yeah. So, well, what do, you, what do you know about the rooms and meals tax? So, we are a hospitality heavy. industry. Yeah. You know, state. You know, we're very heavily reliant. And so... Um, while we do tout the, our lack of taxes in many areas, mm. we do tax rooms and meals. Yes, so every do. time you stay at a hotel, every time you go to a restaurant, there is a tax that is paid that goes into the state coffers. Right, right. So it's paid by the consumer and it's collected by the operators of hotels, restaurants, or other businesses providing taxable meals, room rentals, um, motor vehicle rentals, but we won't even get into that. Um and yeah, so it's it's put into the coffers. It is an right now an eight and a half percent tax. Mm-hmm. It, who knows? It will and could fluctuate as as uh, different people are in office as things go. But um, the and and so the the debate I guess recently not only was um, about the rate 
itself. So, uh, you know, maybe going from eight and a half to 7.9. But also, and this is the, this is the important part, um, the amount that goes to, or the percentage of that money that goes to municipalities. Um, And then there's this debate around, well, you know, should the tourism heavy municipalities get more than just the, you know, small towns, right. whatever, right? Your Portsmouths, your North Conways, right. those right. areas because that are the argument visitor being, heavy. Yes, because you need to fund more infrastructure. You need to have for the visitors that are coming and therefore spending their money and paying the tax, et cetera. So, and paying more the lion's share of the tax. Well, yeah, point. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that's what, the, you know, they're, they're, uh, I think it was HB 1204 um, that, Basically, the House voted to send an interim study, which means they killed it uh, for now. Um, but again, it, it is talking about whether to go from 30 to 40 percent for municipalities. Um, and you can, for our listeners, you can see all the data and all the information about the rooms and meals tax, either on the nh.gov slash treasury or the revenue.nh.gov site, right? There's FAQs about it. There's um, a town by town distribution list uh, by year. Um, and, you know, you can, you can sort of see that it shows you the population and then the amount of funds that are given. Um, right. And so even though this bill, particular bill was essentially killed it's a something that's going to keep coming up and so it's something for our tourism businesses in particular in our communities that um are are particularly um big tourism um communities are keeping a close eye on because it's going to be coming up again right and it's just a question of what form right exactly and i think another um another piece you know just having heard through the grapevine over the years and in the work that i've done is you know are these municipalities getting these funds all of these funds or is you know the state saying well we need you know we need these funds for this or we you know the the distribution isn't going to happen because of this or you know who knows the situation but the that is the question you know are these municipalities actually getting the funds that essentially they are deserved by law so i guess we'll just keep in tune to all of this and that's what we're buzzing about this week Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. Check out the Cardinal blog and learn about our services at cardinalconsultingnh.com. We're on social at cardinalconsultingnh. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Cardinal Consulting.